Hello, everybody. This is Kirk Henderson from MavsMoneyBall.com. I'm coming to you tonight for the first time from the Locker Room app. I am joining as a result of a kind of concerted push by SB Nation to try to get us to do some different things. And, you know, I've, I've been hearing about both like the Locker Room app and uh, some of these other kind of live audio radio apps for a while now. And I figured that this would be a good time to go ahead and get started. As everybody knows, it's been, well, I guess a week since the Mavericks played basketball. They lost to the uh, Portland Trailblazers last week in a really frustrating Sunday night game. And then the winter storms basically impacted Texas in a really, really uh, kind of a crazy way to the point to where uh, numerous sporting events had to be canceled. I'm outside the area. I know a number of our writers and uh, contributors lost power. And it was just kind of a horrific week for the state of Texas, particularly in um, the Dallas area. But I, I, you know, we've had a lot of time to talk, a lot of time to think. The last, uh, the last several days were in, over the last week. The Mavericks were supposed to have played uh, the Pistons on Wednesday and then the Rockets on Friday. They were going to have kind of a light week as is, but it seems that the the you know with with what has intervened in the meantime, the Mavericks were uh, kind of gifted is not the right word given the situation, but the 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 time off was something that the Mavericks were probably. Uh, Glad to have outside of the, the situation. Um, it was apparently kind of chaotic in the area. The Mavericks ended up having uh, four days in the past seven to which their past six the, the, uh, with which they were able to um, practice, which is probably the longest stretch of practice time that the Mavericks have had since training camp with this kind of in and out uh, lineup for, for weeks now. What we've ended up seeing is that well, <laughs> restart the room. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, my friend. I'm I'm still doing this for the first time, so I don't even know um, what I'm doing here. So so let's let's get some, uh, you know, write me here. Tell me what I'm, I'm doing wrong. Hi, Ben. Um, so we're here live. This is me figuring out how to do this stuff for the first time. I'm just kind of. Um... How you doing? Thanks for joining us. Um, I'm, I'm still kind of figuring out what I'm doing on this thing for the first time. And it's, it's definitely not going to be the, uh, the best kind of audio. Um, oh, Hey, Nick is here. We have all sorts of friends. This is, you know, not remotely, uh, terrifying being live. Normally when I, uh, when I'm podcasting, I kind of envision part of why I took up podcasting was the fact that I really just wanted to yell into the void because I would be up until like two in the morning talking with all of you all on Twitter anyways, and then it just made sense to go ahead and start recording um, and then putting it out. But this is an entirely different beast because this is live. Um, let's see who we got here. <laughs> well, so like I said, we had we had been, you know, sort of uh, getting to the point to where we, we've had seven days between games. The Mavericks play tomorrow night against uh, the Memphis Grizzlies. And that is just one of these uh, games that I've been having circled for some time. I'm a little disappointed that Jaron Jackson Jr. is not going to be able to play, but uh, this this has been one where I've really wanted to see how the Grizzlies look for a variety of reasons, because I really, really want uh, the bulk of the Grizzlies roster on the Mavericks with the, you know, with, with some like key exceptions, but I've really enjoyed how they uh, draft and just how they pick. They, they've ended up getting a number of guys the last several years, who, all of whom that I have wanted on the Mavericks roster. So this will probably be, uh, you know, one of these, one of these things where <laughs> shout out to Desmond Bain. That's exactly right. Henry, I was just pulling up their roster because I have all these, I have like a thousand tabs up because I didn't know what I was going to talk about. Um, and, and the, the Grizzlies were, um, kind of high on the list because when you go through their roster, it's just guys that I, I NBA draft Twitter wanted. And, you know, starting in like 2018, I ended up following all these guys mainly because I, I, you know, you start seeing the same people listed over and over and over again, where you have, you know, past John Morant, you have like Brandon Clark uh, is somebody that I wanted on the Mavericks just because I thought he would fit very well next to KP. Um, Let me see here. Sorry, I'm 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 kind of scrolling through scrolling through my audio. 
uh, scrolling through the comments here at the same time. Um, Jason, I do believe it is supposed to be just audio. I don't think you want to see me. I'm quite unattractive. Um, let's see, are we going through the audio here? We have, you know, Xavier Tillman, who is somehow at his size, one of the best post defenders in the NBA. You have Grayson Allen, who is just the ultimate, like kind of NBA level troll. You have slow-mo Kyle Anderson. You have Jonte Porter, who's just one of those guys that we at Mavs Moneyball really liked for like intangible reasons. And you have like a guy like D'Anthony Melton, who is just going to be one of these three and day three and D wings who drive us crazy uh, for the for the next several years because he's a guy like that that we would have wanted to wanted to see. Um, oh, hi, Brian Zilm just joined us. Uh, you guys should know Brian because he actually does these regularly. And if you don't join his channel or follow him on this, you absolutely should because he is quite good at this in comparison to me. Oh, geez. Then we get back to the rest of the Grizzlies roster. There is John Conchar, who, if you don't know who this guy is and he gets into the game tomorrow, he's going to drive you crazy as a Mavs fan. He is one of these kind of grindy players who just makes plays. He does the right thing on the floor. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be really something watching what ends up happening. Um, in this game because, you know, the Grizzlies played last night and they won. The Mavericks have had a series of games off. And so this is just sort of one of these where when you look at what's coming in the upcoming uh, uh, schedule, the Mavericks play four times in seven days after having six plus days off. They play the Grizzlies, they play Boston, they play the Sixers, and they play the Nets. Now the Mavericks are two games under 500, as you guys know, and they really need to find a way to split these next four. Uh, the, the Celtics who they're playing on Tuesday, in theory, you'd think that'd be a pretty good game for the Mavericks to find a way to, uh, to do something against the Celtics. But if you actually check their, their, uh, record again on the back end of, uh, back-to-backs, the Mavericks have been terrible on the second night of back-to-backs going back for, um, essentially three years now. It's really, it's something frightening where, I talk myself into this just about every time thinking of the reasons that they can win, but then something ends up happening and it's just kind of brutal um, where they end up losing kind of a painful game. You know, uh, Kemba Walker tonight went one from 12 for three and it just, it, it terrifies me that he's going to have one of these like seven of eight nights for three, just because the, uh, the way that the Mavericks uh, defend the three lately, I'm not sure if you guys have seen this stat, but the first I don't want to say it was like five to eight games of the season. The Mavericks were among the top five teams in three-point defense. And then since then, it's been – it's either – I can't remember the exact like line of demarcation, but they, they got to a certain point where they were uh, – they're currently like among the bottom three where teams are shooting like 41% on open threes. And the Mavericks give up a lot of open threes. Um and so we got, you know, it's it's going to be kind of one of these these interesting um, series of games to where if the Mavericks win against Memphis, which I think they can because they're playing at home, and then they play Tuesday at home against the Celtics, then then we we should be really uh, as fans be, be feeling really excited about about ourselves. Uh, Jeremy, that's a very good question. Jeremy Boyer asks in the chat. So KP will play at most two games in the next seven days. I actually would be surprised if he plays anything less than three uh, with the time off and really with their need to get his timing down. If he's not showing any, any sort of out there health concerns, if they're not really, if, if they can keep his minutes at under, you know, let's just kind of say 34 to 35. I think that he should be able to play all four games this week because they play Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, which is really kind of, of weird. Um, it's exactly right. We don't have the luxury to sit Porzingis at the moment, despite the fact that sometimes I feel like, uh, they play better without him. Um, actually that's not really a feeling that's kind of backed up by numbers and the per 100 possessions, the Mavericks are a train wreck with KP on the floor, but as we all know, they're married to him. And so they have to figure out something, um, which really gets, uh, to, to, to something I was going to talk about a little bit later, but you know, we're already here. Um, today the Dallas morning news and Callie Kaplan, who does a wonderful job, put out an article about how the Mavericks aren't, uh, the Mavericks aren't making excuses, but they're giving reasons for Chris Stapp's defensive woes. Not sure if you all saw it, but, uh, in case anyone is confused, a 
re a, a excuse and a reason are synonyms. Those those words mean the same thing. I know where I know what the Mavericks are trying to go for, but you know, KP has never finished a season healthy. So the fact that he didn't get an off season to prepare is not really new. It's just kind of what KP has done the entire time in uh, in the NBA. So it's it's one of these things where um, with with him they know that they need to get better as a team. We've all seen this. Their communication on the floor, particularly in transition, stands out even to the most casual of fans. When it comes to the the sort of thing that we're seeing in like the, the half-court possession defense, the Mavericks are all just a step slow. Like I kill Porzingis for this on our podcasts, but it is not just Porzingis. Uh, the rest of the Mavericks are really not looking well. So I'm going to be very interested to see what the Mavericks are are able to do with this time off, where they've talked about how they've been working specifically in some of these these leveraged positions where they're just getting worked to death, uh, where everybody is a step slow. Um, the Mavericks defense is sort of predicated on the fact that KP is going to be able to clean up a lot of the mess that they have out there. And that simply hasn't been the case. Uh uh, <laughs> hey, Rye. So the, the Mavericks actually did get to practice four of these days out there. Um, Nicholas asks, is chemistry something we really want to rely on? The bubble was awesome. And now with the starting unit getting some run, it looks cool. Is it a factor that can determine a playoff run? This is, I would say that these guys getting on some sort of comfortable run where they have some sort of momentum heading into the second half of the season is probably the most important thing that, that they have to establish. With the, the, uh, the next four games, but really they only have six games until they, they take a break for All-Star break. They, if the Mavericks can get either to 500 or within 500, they should feel pretty good about themselves relative to where we've been at points during this season. There are 1.5 games under 500. They're currently two. I, I really think they should be one game under 500 because of, uh, you know, I really think they should have won that Portland game. There's, there's a couple of other games in the schedule that we look at, but if they can get to 500, I think they should be in a, a pretty excitable spot uh, to where, the, you know, the Mavericks, if you look at their strength of schedule, there's a lot of factors out there where it's hard to say just how good or bad this team is in the big picture because they fit together. You know, if you go back to the start of 2019, 2020, they started 16 and six. They fit together well enough to start 16 and six. And since then, everybody has been looking for a way to get back to that kind of momentum and between COVID, between you know Luca's ankle injury, between KP's knee injection that took three weeks to start 2020, uh, things just haven't gone their way. Now that all those things considered, you know, particularly when you add in you know the COVID stretch where the Mavericks have have lost more games to COVID, uh, more man games to COVID than any other team in the NBA. The fact that they're two games below 500 in the in the varsity conference is something that that I think we should really be, uh, as fans, pretty enthusiastic upon. Um, just as a reminder, guys, I want to throw this out there because I'm, I'm still figuring this out. If, if you have uh, anybody out there uh, wants to actually ask a question, you can do this through the audio app. Um, from what I've been told from, from like Brian Zillum, who uses this app like literally, you know, fairly regularly, we're going to get to the point where we have to boot trolls and things like that. But right now there's a smaller number of you to where I, I am uh, thoroughly um, interested in, in seeing, you know, what kind of questions you guys have and what you'd like to talk about. Um, oh, hey, Brian. Brian, what's up? Kirk, you're doing fantastic so far, sir. Well Thank done. you very much. How are you? Oh, you know, another night. My wife's downstairs watching uh, real TV. It's been, I've been very confused without basketball because I'd gotten into a rhythm and now it's been seven days and like getting back into the rhythm is going to be something else. Yeah. Try, try having that and not having cable or water for a couple amount of days. Me and Jesse had unfortunately had to go through that this week and it sucks, but it sucks not having basketball as well. <laughs> well, yeah, now I feel like an asshole. I'm sorry. Oh, well, I hope you're that. doing okay. <laughs> We're hanging in there. That was not my uh, that was not my intent. But you're doing wonderful so far. Uh, just a quick uh, game for you, Kirk. How many players do the the Grizzlies have shooting over forty percent, forty percent or better from three, off the top of your head? 
I mean, I know one of them, and that it's 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 our it's our man that that we were you know super uh, Desmond Bain. God, <laughs> Desmond my heart. Bain at one point, Desmond Bain was at one point leading the league, but forty percent. I'd say three. How many do we have? We have five. Five. Oh, good. Shooting forty percent or better from three. So you brought up the. A wonderful point of the Mavericks being terrible at shooting or defending the three, so they have that to look forward to Monday. Well, I'm really not sure. You know, the the defensive um, the defensive stuff is so curious to me because I talked to the Athletics Seth part now, and three point shots, particularly when it comes to, like open looks, there's there's a certain aspect of randomness involved that's really hard to kind of nailed down like they don't know how to at this point with some of the advanced data and so the things that are happening in the Mavericks seem to be they've experienced both ends of it where we're all really excited for like five or six games and since then they've just been blown off the map and it's got to be somewhere in the middle so maybe you know with some fresh legs there's the opportunity for these guys to actually uh you know put something out there where they, you know, it's actually like a team-based defense. Like that would be that would be kind of exciting if if uh, if <laughs> if they could actually look like a good defensive team again. Um, let me see here, Bobby. You say this is fun so far. That's what I like to hear because you know I'm I'm this this is supposed to be fun at some point or another. Um, I had a whole bunch of stuff written down because I didn't really know what all I was going to talk about. Um. Let me see here. I agree. So Jesse says, I think it's going to be a tale of two halves this season. And, and that has, they're just, this team cannot be as bad as they've looked. Um, I, I've been very interested to, to, you know, kind of read and talk about the various players who have either dealt with COVID or dealt with COVID uh, related protocol to where they have talked about how it's really affected you know, not only how they play on the court, but kind of how they prepare and sort of the mental state that they're in. And the Mavericks had five, you know, five guys, four guys who, who seem to have had it. I can't confirm that for real. I don't remember the total number. But then five guys who are within the protocol, if you if you include Jalen Brunson. And we will see what <laughs> my wife is trolling me, taking a picture. Uh, we'll, we'll see what what actually is able to, to happen here if if these guys are able to look anything like they did at a certain point of the year um brian what else do you got for me here since you do this for real well i actually well spoiler alert uh myself and lauren gunn i actually had a serious conversation i'm not really sure anybody's really had this conversation yet Kurt. you and josh are very mm. smart at this uh basketball thing uh, you guys have been doing this for a very long time uh <laughs> are we really are we ready to say the josh richardson trade complete fl- failure because if you look at his stats, we, we this twenty seventeen Josh Richardson ain't coming. That that boat is sailed, my friend, because if you look up his stats from shooting shooting threes, his percentage and his defensive rating, it is going south in the bad way. The I think everybody was really hyped and excited about the Josh Richardson trade. I was too, and that it condoned my uh, very sadness that the Grizzlies sniped Bane. And uh-huh. If you look at, do you know what his uh, defensive rating off the top of your head right now is, Kurt? No, but it's bad. Uh, that I do I, know that it's it's very bad. One eighteen point four. So he's like right. He's right behind KP in terms of like overall tire fire. Yes, essentially. Yeah. And then the most frustrating thing, Desmond Bain, not necessarily like the best defender, but his defensive rating is. 115.3. The crazy thing is, if you go back year by year, so in that 17-18 year, he was at 106.2. That is a historic, horrific <laughs> drop. And I don't know what – I don't know how you just get bad at defense year by year. So I, I just don't get it. Now, I, I understand he's been around – now, this is his third team in essentially like three years, right? So I'm a little understanding about that. But I don't really understand how a scheme – could be that drastically different. I know Carlisle does like to play a little bit more zone than anybody else, but it's just like if he, I could forgive the terrible three point shooting, but if you're not even giving me a, a rating of 113, at least Dor- Dorian's 113 right now, and he's kind of had a decline defensive rating as well. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt if he was one of those that was diagnosed with COVID as well, but that's terrible. Well, uh, you can so. 
We, we, J- Jason, Jason J- Yang, I can't say your name. I apologize. Anybody's name, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to apologize in advance when I say your names because I, I, I'm just bad at this. But individual, like defensive rating, is not a good individual stat. It, 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 it really shouldn't be used for that. But when you look at all of the five Maverick starters and they all suck, what that says is that what we're already seeing is that the Mavericks defense sucks. And I've been, you know, we've been writing about this on our site for a couple of, of weeks now where it essentially comes in and you, and you say, like, the way that the Mavericks defense is designed to work, it is not working anywhere. I do believe the Mavericks uh, themselves actually track blow by uh, as a stat. And if you watch like single dribble moves that, and, and this happens, you know, Dorian, who I, I, I really appreciate the guy's work ethic, but the Mavs miscast him as a defensive stopper. That's what Richardson was supposed Agreed. to be for. And they just haven't used him that way. I was aghast that they didn't put him on Dame. I think according to the NBA tracking metrics, he was on Dame for 55 seconds, which is crazy to me. And there were just these instances where, uh, you know, the, late in the game, there were some defensive communications. Jalen Brunson was apparently supposed to come double on that three and just like, just didn't for whatever reason. I mean, Dame was in the center of the court. It's kind of a hard thing to do. Um, that's kind of neither here nor there for the bigger picture discussion. You asked about what I think in terms of, of, of the Richardson trade. And I would have to say that it, it I mean, on the, on the positive side, he's not increasing his value. <laughs> he has one more no. year. He has one more year of an opt-in, which, which, you know, it's like at a healthy $12 million. Like he's a $12 million a year player. He's a rotation guy. I'm going to be very interested to see if he can, if his three point shot can continue to trick north. Um, there's something there. I do, you know, COVID 19 had to affect him, Dorian, and Maxi Kleba worse than, than it, it's, it's very evident. Um, and that, that's kind of what's, what's a little bit of a struggle for, for me to, to see what's going on. Um, let's see here. What else do we have here in the chat here? So, Christian Morales asks, can Tyler Bay save the trade? I know. No. Yeah, no is, is a good one. Um, let me see here. We have a request here from, I need to figure out how to get to the stage. Brian, I'm going to punch you back, but I appreciate you joining. And of I'm going to let uh, a couple other people pop in here. So let's see who else we got. Oh. Uh, speaker request. Send that again there, my man. I can't I can't figure out how to get to it again. Uh Aswin, there we go. Invite to speak. Aswin, how are we? I'm pretty good, man. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for joining us. What can mm-hmm. I do for you? Alright, so one thing I've noticed is last season we were like a top five rebounding team, right? So like how did we get that much worse at it? <laughs> this is a so so uh if if you if you listen to Rick Carlisle when he went on the radio, uh, let's see here, two days ago, he made a lot of Mavs Twitter mad all at once. I, I got a bunch of notifications on my phone. That seems to, I, I don't know how my notifications work, but he said something effectively, you know, when asked if they needed to go get like a non shooting big that just rebounds. And his answer was, well, we have a bunch of guys, you know, a bunch of big guys. And the answer to me from Rick Carlisle's point of view is the Mavericks just need to rebound better. And there have been numerous uh, attempts this year, if, if you've seen kind of the, the clips where the Mavericks just aren't boxing out anyone. Chris Porzingis gets killed for this, and I'm sometimes part of the problem. At a seven foot three guy, he's not ever going to get leverage to box out. But Tim Hardaway, Dorian Finney-Smith, Luca. These guys who have guys on uh, that are within their size range that don't just kind of you know go around them, the Mavericks actually just need to try harder. There's an there's an aspect of effort involved with what the Mavericks are doing here to where they have been really really bad, and I don't know if effort is the right way to to categorize it, but they're not getting the kind of rebounds that seem very obvious to the rest of us here. Um, let's see here. What else has been going on? And and you're right, Jason. We need to stop with the defensive rating stat. Uh, I think it's a good, like, jumping off point into different discussions about what's happening with the Mavs defense. But it, it is pretty, like, uh, Seth Partnow yelled at me about this, like, a couple of, of days ago for me and, and, and what's going on. Um, 
let's see here. So there's been a number of other kind of like fun, you know, the, the thing that, that I, I don't want to say I enjoy it because, you know, sometimes I mix myself up in it too. Where I can't help, help myself, but I really did kind of get a kick out of how uh, Maverick social media did not like Luka Doncic uttering the following quote. I didn't expect that I was going to start this game. I know that maybe Lillard deserved it more than me. And that, <laughs> that's just one of these things where you're reminded when I heard this, I think that this is Luka Doncic, the man who up until this year has always played on a veteran laden team. And it's just sort of one of these things to where, all right, we got a request from Jason to speak. Hey Jason, how are you? I'm good. How about you? Good. Thanks for joining. What can I do for you tonight? So you're talking about Luca, and I've listened to some of the pod, and I think I disagree with some of the stuff you're saying about Luca right now. Sure. And you're saying that Luca has no help, and the fact that everyone shooting worse from the three-point range causes everyone to collapse and delay and causes the drive to be worse. And I'd argue the opposite is true, and that Luca has been a step slow. And yes, he's improved at mid-range game, and yes, he's improved in a lot of areas, but I think he's demonstratingly worse than last year, even if some of the stats might seem somewhat similar. Just from my eye test, I do think he's a step slower, and that causes a huge ripple effect for the rest of the team. And maybe it isn't fair to say, oh, look, it has to be better, but he's a superstar. The team's built around him. So in some part, if the Mavs want to be a top one defense, a top one offense, a top three offense, not a top 10 offense, I think that's where the improvement had to come from. This is a good question because you know what? There are people who are a lot smarter than me that absolutely agree with you. Uh, Seth Partnow, when he came on my podcast earlier during the during kind of this hiatus, essentially said the same thing to me, where he said, "I just think that Luca's movements are all extremely challenging right now in terms of when you watch him break a guy down. He's he's methodical, but it's almost labored and." I have to give some ground on this in that I think that, you know, and I, I don't think we all, we all agree with this. Like Luca's the best player, but he sometimes gets into a little bit do too much mode. So that's, that's, it's, it's a fair criticism. I, I will say that where I think that the kind of the middle point is between me when I'm on my high horse complaining about everybody else that isn't Luca. And then what Jason's saying here in the sense of uh, who, you know, what's not happening? Like, what, what is Luka doing incorrect? The one thing that has absolutely killed the Mavericks is the lack of consistent lob threat. And this is where, you know, Dwight Powell being unable to, to really move as well as he has prior to his Achilles injury, where Chris Stapp's Porzingis sort of, I don't even know if it's like an unwillingness or maybe it's a scheme design, but he's really not rolling. And then everybody's, you know, mine in particular, kind of favorite pin cushion in, in, in Willie Cauley Stein, who just has, you know, the old Samuel Dallenbear pizza hands. Uh, he doesn't like to roll. He's actually been a lot better at it the last three to four games, but there were stretches where it's just like, Luca is passing you the ball to where you can dunk it. Just like, all you have to do is grab it, move it three inches and dunk it. And he just wasn't able to finish. Um, so I, I, I think it's it's probably more of what you're saying, Jason, in that Luca's movements are are labored. And I sort of think this is just going to be what the 2020-2021 season is for him. He is going to have to come into another season next year in better shape, full stop. The fact that he looked as good as he did in Orlando and let himself go by the time uh, that they were playing uh, to start the year in December is really, is kind of impressive. I mean, as a, as a person who is able to put on weight when I really want to, I'm, I'm really kind of impressed by, by Luca's ability to look as, as washed as he, as he, as he did to start the season. Um, let's see here. What else do we have here? So, yeah, I mean, the, the so, so Nicholas points out the three point shooting is concerning, but I, I sort of, if, if you look at the month-to-month trends, December, January, February, the Mavericks are finally trending up in February, and some of that's just a reversion to the mean. You know, Chris Porzingis, as much as I complain about him, is not going to be a 29% three-point shooter. He's going to have these hot games. The game against the Pelicans, he rose his three-point shooting for the season from 32% to 36%. 
and Luca has has really skyrocketed. You know, you're you're gonna we're gonna continue to see the like Luca shouldn't shoot threes narrative, uh, and I think that exists. But it, it, oh, so we have Aswin's gonna ask another question. We're gonna do hey. what's what? Yeah. Hi, hi sorry. I have no, one more fine. question. Sure. Uh, you, you're talking about uh, Luca's uh, shape. Do you think that also contributes to his finishing? Last season, he was what seventy three percent. But this season he's around like fifty eight percent. Yeah. Oh, it has to. Um, the dunks are down, which I know it's, he's not exactly a dunker, so it's kind of an asinine stat. But it's it's like a canary in the coal mine sort of thing to where, when you look at even like where his attempts are coming from, that's a great question because he's not he's really not finishing as well as he should. And I, I don't know about you guys, and this is purely off the top of my head, but I feel like there's one to two shots every game where I'm just like, how did he miss that? Which I did not feel that way when the Mavericks got off to their barnstorming 16 and six shots. So, so that's absolutely got to be part of this. Um, Mavs Moneyball contributor, Ben, what's happening? Hey, what's going on, Kirk? Essentially, my question is, Tim Hardaway Jr., how do you feel about his spot going forward? Have you have you enjoyed his season so far, and do you feel like it's somebody the Mavs should bring back or let him go? Do you think he's got some trade value? Just general Tim Hardaway thoughts. It is generally upsetting to me how important Tim Hardaway Jr. is to this team. <sighs> that said, the trick-or-treat Tim Hardaway experience is essentially – like why I love basketball in the nut in a nutshell, because he he's kind of like the basketball version of my id in the sense of when I hate him, I hate him when he is on fire. I want them to give him like a seven year contract extension and his shooting, his overall shooting. I, I looked this up last night. My favorite stat are the on the NBA like advanced tracking stats are his shooting percentages with defenders within distance. He doesn't have any uh he doesn't have any uh three point shots like wide open. That's how good of a shooter he is. Within I think it's two to four feet, he's shooting thirty-seven percent. Four to six feet, oh excuse me, with like a defender tightly up on him. I, I got that backwards. Within two to four feet, he's 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 thirty-seven percent, four to six feet. He's 39%. And then wide open, he's 41%. Which, on the volume that he shoots, even if it's a ton, that's, he's shooting, you know, a 4% range is not enough for me with this, you know, with 20, what is it, 28 games of data. He, he's shooting the same. It doesn't matter who is on him. <laughs> that's like my favorite thing about Tim Hardaway Jr. because the Mavericks need that. With the way that Luka plays, he puts the ball in the, in the shooter pocket for the ability to get off a shot really, uh, really well. And when the Mavericks inserted him into the starting lineup last year is when things really, really started to take off. Uh, I've really enjoyed his kind of uh, versatility being able to go back to the bench and, and really play well. He's been a big part of this uh, stretch the last several weeks. I will say that watching him play defense is extraordinarily painful. I hope all of you remember the uh, who watched the first Golden State game. There was a, a series of possessions where the Mavericks went zone as an attempt to to make things interesting, and they uh, there was some clip of him literally doing circles, and it wasn't like a circle; it was two or three circles as he was trying to figure out where he is. Um, the crazy part about his shooting percentages, so Jesse uh, in the chat points out 39% on 7.8 threes per uh, threes this year. I would guess that that 39% uh, on particularly on the volume, let's say if it's like more than five per game, he's got to be in the top top 30 in the league uh, on that percentages. So so that's that's pretty great. Okay, so Jesse says he's top 10. Uh, all right, I'm uh, going to be joined here by, uh, you know, Dalton Trigg, who you all should know. Now i got to figure out how to let him accept the, the request. Dalton, what's up? Kirk, what's up, buddy? How you doing? Oh, you know. <laughs> look, uh, look I, you were talking about Tim Hardaway Jr., and I wanted to lob this one up to you real quick. How upset are you that it's it's come to the point now to where he looks like he is a crucially important piece for them this offseason because you know there the options there aren't as many as there were you know 
mm-hmm. three, four months ago. And with the way he's played, I mean, I, in my opinion, I think he's become a crucial part of their upcoming offseason. Like, it, it'd be a disaster if he ended up leaving at this point, in my opinion. What do you think? Well, I mean, the fact that, that you know, and, and you're in my group tat- chats that we're in, I, I think I refer to it as the Tim Hardaway Jr. trade, really is, is kind of <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of the problem that we have going on here. I, You know, look – Assets are assets. Players who are good at basketball have value. And, and the real challenge uh, of what we're running into here is that, uh, you know, the Mavericks have not focused on getting guys who are generally good at basketball for years. They look for guys to fill a specific role. And the challenge that, that we're, we're sort of seeing is that the Mavericks are just slightly under, under-talented. Uh, you know, Luca and Porzingis and, and, and Hardaway are all very good, you know, basketball players. But if you look at like the top tier, like the, the pedigree of these players, the Mavericks are very few first round guys and a lot of second round guys. And that sort of thing is, yep. and, and some undrafted guys, like that just catches up with you in the long run. You can, you can make a, you know, you can make some hay, but eventually you need to sign some guys. This is where, you know, just some of their, their, their lackluster off seasons. And then really this is a, like an institutional drafting problem where the Mavericks have gone back, you know, there's like Josh Howard, Devin Harris, wide gap, Dennis Smith, Jr. Luka Doncic, like it's been bad for a while. So these sorts of things all sort of roll into one another. And so I don't want to say that, that, you know, it's, it's frustrating that KP or that, that Tim Hardaway Jr. is this important. I don't, it's good to find a guy that this willing to shoot. I just wish that Timmy was a little bit more uh, aware on defense, but yeah, um, I mean, this is why, this is why I want them to, I really hope that they do something before the trade deadline, because then, if you up, if you upgrade your roster then and you know you don't have to end up trading Tim Hardaway Jr. If you upgrade now, then you get to the off season and you can you know you can re-sign him and uh, maybe Josh Richardson if you know things start trending in the right the, the direction we thought it would go with him. Um, I, I just I don't know I I'm, I'm very you know me Kirk I'm I'm usually like super. Mavs free agency optimistic, but I, I'm not there anymore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not, well, not with something. Free, not with free agency, guys. So the 15 of us in here, we heard it first from Dalton that he is a little grumpy on the Mavericks. Nobody <laughs> tell anybody else though, because it's just here. It's just here amongst us friends in the uh, in in the locker room app. So Dalton, People I'm going to let you be shocked at our group <laughs> chat. But anyway, all right. I'm on, Thank I'm you, on, Dalton. I'm done. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to invite, uh, let's see here, John Ha uh, sent us a request to, to ask a quick question, but I want to see what his, uh... hi, John, how are you? John? No, no, John. All right, we tried again here in a second. But John essentially asked in the chat, of, you know, how has Jay Rich been for, for the Mavericks? Well, disappointing, I would say. I would say the most messages that I get, uh, no worries, John. We'll we'll talk about him here. The most me- the most messages that that I end up getting, both in terms of DMs, in terms of tweets, in terms of comments on the Mavs Moneyball uh, articles that we see, are sort of Seth adjacent. And it's important to understand that, like Seth Curry didn't start. Seth Curry, you know, played a lot of games in the Mavericks, but he was never, you know, he, the Mavericks always took him out because with as poor as Luca was on defense last year, and Seth Curry being, you know, all of six two the Mavericks just got targeted too much. Um, he was extremely good during a few bubble games, but unless he was shooting, like, as basically how he's shooting this year, which kind of drives me crazy, the Mavericks had a hard time finding, you know, consistent minutes for him. So that was that was really sort of, of, of the gist. And so I still, I, I don't want to say that I'm out on the trade because, you know, Seth Curry's over 30. He has a rough injury history. You know, he played a lot last year, but some of the injuries that he's had for a guy who's that small, uh, you know, both in terms of height and in terms of weight, it's just tough to play past your 30s in this. You know, we've had all these guys in the NBA that play for years and years and years, and it really throws off your ability to, you know, judge what's normal. You know, we do this with Dirk and Dallas all the time where it's like, oh, well, Dirk played 21 years. Well, of course, you know, 
you know, most guys NBA like the average NBA career is like four point three seasons long. Like this just doesn't happen. So it's it's kind of you know the problem that we're running into. Um, let's see here. What else do we have in the chat here? Uh, <laughs> well, I I've got a I, I wanted to circle back because I, I I did get a question on this uh, or I got a question that I just you know because I definitely want to interact with you guys, but I wanted to talk about Luka Doncic's quote that he gave uh, during the media session. I didn't expect that I was going to start this game, meaning the All-Star game. I know that maybe Lillard deserved it more than me. Now, my favorite, my favorite thing is watching people get very upset at quotes. Not only because it's funny, but because I do the same thing. And so this was just not one that really that really perturbed me. Because Luca, as a guy, if you look at his career, this is maybe the second time, if we include last year, his entire career, he's always been the young guy. He's always, always, always deferred up. He's played with some real veteran-laden teams where he might be the most talented, the X-Factor, the closer, kind of like the Kyrie Irving of, of a certain situation. But he's always played with really talented guys, so I think it's just kind of in his nature to, to defer, even though when he is on the court, the man is an absolute killer. And he's the one who wants the ball. He's the one who wants to, to take it to teams. But I think when when kind of put in these situations where he's asked, you know, oh, how do you feel about, you know, the accolades you're getting? Like, I'm not really sure what he's supposed to say. I will say that, you know, it is kind of interesting that Dame is probably the most universally liked of the NBA superstars that are out there. Uh, you know, you have LeBron who tends to piss people off for historical reasons. You have Durant that tends to piss people off because he is, you know, he 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 like he says exactly what he thinks and then he changes what he thinks two weeks later. Kyrie Irving's a little bit weird. You know, James Harden is the most unlikable human in history, so on and so forth. Dame is just a guy that people like. Uh, Dame is kind of a, what I refer to as kind of a United States basketball icon. Luka Doncic is a worldwide icon. I don't want to say the comparison to Yao Ming is like exact, but I, I think we sort of, in terms of American basketball culture, really, really underestimate how popular Luca is throughout the world. It is not just Slovenia. It is, is aspects of Europe too. And the way that he plays the game and the like the passion that he plays the game is really, really fun to, to see. It's, you know, a lot of basketball players are, are night in, night out. It's, it's a business. It becomes a business. Luca still plays with like this kind of like exasperational joy where, you know, it, it can drive me crazy, particularly when he gets upset, but that is also what fuels his ability and willingness to take the insane shots to, to make the crazy passes. Uh, as Jesse is pointing out in the, in the chat, like Dirk only started as a replacement twice. The fact that Luke has done it in two of his three years, really, he should have also been in his rookie year, but they didn't want to, you know, the, the coaches, and I understand why it's, it's a politics thing. There's, you know, he's, in retrospect, it was stupid for me to get as mad as I did about all this. Um, it's really it was it was really fun to kind of you know to 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 look at what's happening with Luca now because he is the guy that we had always sort of he's getting the accolades that we had all wanted Dirk to get uh, as Aswin points out it feels nice being on the other side like it's damn right it does like you know Dirk is one of these guys who's historically underappreciated and will be a guy that really within like ten to fifteen years is only going to be well known to basketball nerds and people like like that are super fans in Dallas. And even then people are already kind of like misremembering aspects of how Dirk was treated. Like Dirk went out during the, uh, I can't remember. I saw somebody talking about this on, on social today about how in the Denver series in 2010, when he was going through that sort of awful experience with the woman who was trying to scam him, he made a comment about how Denver was guarding him so well. And all those assholes on, on, on NBA, on TNT were, you know, castigating him for it. Maybe it was 09. I could be getting my years wrong. Um, and he talked about how well they were, they were defending him and all those guys really went at him all while Dirk was just cooking Denver. Like there was nothing more that he could do. It was, it was really, it's really something to, to look back on. Um, Jason says in the chat, it's crazy to think about how Luca is more talented than Dirk. And uh, yes, however, I, I would love to have a time machine and see the way like 2001 to 2005 Dirk played playing this NBA. 
if you go to our uh, our man Panda Hank 41's YouTube channel, there's some of these early clips from Dirk where he is like handling the ball full court for the German national team. And he is horrifying. He is such a unique athlete. Like Luca is an unbelievably skilled and determined player. Dirk is a better athlete uh, or eh, a different athlete. Like Luca's ability to, to slow down and to like, you know, basically alter space time. Like he's Neo in the matrix is probably one of my favorite things about him, but Dirk's like raw athleticism he has hips like a running back. I mean, early in his career, he was able to turn the corner and put the ball on the floor and then stop on a dime and raise up. And man, I just think he would crush in, in today's league. Um, well, guys, we're getting towards the, the, the tail end of how long I probably should be online tonight. Um, does anybody else want to ask any more questions before we, uh, before we head on out of here? Hmm. Brian, rejoining us. What's happening? Yes. Uh, Kirk, I want to call the uh, front office to the uh, head of the table here. Uh, Oh, good. They don't like me. No. Well, hey, you and Josh, I I feel like I do a wonderful job calling out the little things that the front office does not do. And uh, I was on a podcast earlier today kind of discussing the matchups, you know, Monday versus the Mavs and Grizz. And he had pointed out uh, the host of the podcast, Daniel Greer, he had mentioned, you know, Memphis has – kind of held steady because they're 10 through 15. They're at, they're not like great, but they're like decent. Mm-hmm. And which made me like really my head explode because as of right now, to go back to my question earlier, what the hell was this draft strategy? Like we, we draft all these guys and then they send them in the G league. That just hurts my head because if that was the case, trade, trade the pick. Get something else. Get me a guy who's going to get you functional minutes on, on this the end of the roster. That you're, you're telling me there's no one available you could have gotten? There was somebody. Pick up the phone. This is make tough. The call. Like, this is really it, tough. It drives me crazy, Kirk. I like. I know like the offseason nonsense from two years ago that you, you guys still hit home on that. But <laughs> I, I'm, I'm putting them at the head of the table. Why the hell do you not just draft Desmond Bain? That was the perfect guy within the goddamn timeline. It just drives it infuriates me to no end. I'm sorry. Uh, no, it's it's it makes all the sense in the world as as far as I'm concerned because the real challenge that the front office had is to build for the now and build for the future. And unfortunately, it seems they mainly went with build for the future. Now, I will say as a draft, as a person who got very deep into the draft right after Dennis Smith was selected, where I just I started really looking into to what successful teams will do. Bites at the apple after a certain pick in the draft, you know, pretty much outside the top 10. Like, having a, a chance at guys is important. So that the Mavericks went from having two picks to having three picks, and then a, a starter, which is what they did this year, on paper, I still defend. I am not a Josh Green fan, but I also need to couch that with the understanding of Rick Carlisle is just not fair sometimes. You know, he, he, he the Mavs people, media-adjacent people will tell you, oh, well, here's some examples of Rick Carlisle playing rookies. Well, a guy has to be able to make mistakes. And I still think of, of this section of, of Josh Green getting to play in garbage time. I think it was the Warriors game where he was really doing all sorts of different stuff. And he has to be, you know, the Mavs not good enough right now to play an eight man rotation. Like they're in this, uh, like they're in the final hunt for the playoffs. I would love to see Green getting some minutes right now. I would love to see Bay getting, getting something going on uh, with, with what's happening uh, you know, I, I don't know about Terry. I'm just scared of Terry's size. Like I outweigh Terry by like 45 pounds, if not more. And I am not an NBA player size. It's it's just that that's kind of neither here nor there. But I would say it's 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 just a little tough because if if they're able to to pull this together the way that we talked about earlier is on the table. I do think this off season tends to go away in terms of us worrying about it, because green is a physical specimen. If they can make Dorian Finney Smith into an NBA starter, I have confidence that they will be able to do so with green. Dorian was terrible 
Do not believe anybody who says otherwise. I love you people who believed in him. The man shot 29% for three years. He was awful. He showed nothing in any summer league I went to. An inability to play basketball. And then all of a sudden, you put him with a generational superstar, and he's been leveraged and is able to free himself to do the things that he's very, very good at. So I, I just, I don't know, it, it I have to give the Mavs a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here because like all of us, we really want the Mavericks to win right now. Maybe this just isn't their year, but if that's the case, they have to figure out what they're building towards. And that's probably the most frustrating part out of, out of all this. Um, you know, Rye asks in the chat, is this Carlisle's worst coaching season? First of all, no. Second of all, if you, I'm just kidding, Rye. Don't, don't. Carlisle is such a hard guy to judge because the Mavericks, as, as, as I've been a fan, I've been a fan since I moved to Dallas in 96. And I really got into the Mavericks in 98. We've been blessed with really good coaches for most of my adult life. Don Nelson, Avery Johnson, even though he was a one-trick pony, and Rick Carlisle. Two of those three guys are going to go to the NBA Hall of Fame eventually. It's very hard to say, like, oh, this guy's not doing a good job because we've never had a bad coach. We just haven't. Like, Avery made some mistakes, but he wasn't bad. So that's that's, you know... That's kind of where that's kind of where I am on these things. I, I do think that that, you know, Brian in the chat is making a point that the crosshairs might be on Donnie. But this is an institutional thing. Car, you know, uh, Mark Cuban takes so much of this on himself and chooses it. And, and you know, they, they go a certain way. They behave as if off seasons are sort of binary and that it's either the Mavericks or not the Mavericks. Where it's just like, well, these guys have all sorts of different options. And so I think if if. They're not if they don't swing something for for free age or for the you know trade deadline that's whatever. If they boof this this off season, then I think that that heads are going to roll because there's just you know Luca is we're not going to see a player like Luca for the rest of our lives. So it, it's it's very interesting to see see where we are with all this. Well, guys, this has been a a you know more fun than than I would have thought. Jesse points out correctly that that we're only at the 38% mark of the season. Yeah, I heard that on a podcast today too. Who did I hear that from? Anyways, this has been, you know, fun. I hope you guys like this. I'm probably going to get verified, which means this will uh this will go a different direction. I'm going to put this up uh you know on the Mavs Moneyball uh podcast feed if I can figure out how to get this exported to me. I appreciate you guys joining and hanging out. Uh, I enjoy reading all this. I will try to do a little bit better next week, but, you know, thank you for all the different people, you know, we have here, John, Jesse, we have Ben who've asked a question, Brian who joined in, even Dalton for a moment, even though he peaced out. I really appreciate all this, and uh, we will talk to you guys probably next week.